Thank you, choir. Beautifully done. So, so, so interesting and, and, uh, and rewarding. We begin today a series of sermons from the book of James. The lectionary at this time of year includes five successive Sundays where James is the source of the epistle lesson. Uh, rather than following those five uh, strictly, I've looked through the book of James and found, uh, I think, four themes that are addressed in the letter, sometimes in different places in the letter. And so we'll, we'll structure our messages uh, along those lines. Today, I invite you to, re to listen as I read from, first of all, from the first chapter of James, beginning with the 22nd verse. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror, for they look at themselves and on going away immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and persevere, not being hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongues but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now from the second chapter, beginning with the 14th verse, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm, and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. And we're grateful to God for the reading from his word. A friend of mine recounted a, a conversation he overheard. It was between his father and his son the teenage son and the grandfather. As grandfathers are wont to do, he was hoping to establish a contact, closer contact with the boy, and so was asking him how things were going. Are you still dating that pretty little girl? Oh, yes, sir, I am. Uh, in fact, next week is her birthday. Oh, well, what are you going to give her for your birthday, for her birthday? And the, the teenager said, well, I thought I'd go out this weekend and get her a CD. The grandfather was shocked. A CD? On the weekend? Banks are not open on the weekends. <laughs> oh, Grandpa, I, I'll just go to, to, you know, to Walmart or Target and, and get her a CD that she would like. Well, I'm sure she would like it, but, but how much does it cost you to get her a CD? Well, about $15. $15, what kind of CD can, can you get for $15? About that time, my friend intervened because two people who loved each other very much were about to come figuratively to blows because they thought they were in a terrible disagreement when actually they were not disagreeing at all. If you've studied some New Testament and you've read about Paul and you've read about James, you may think that 
Paul and James are in a violent disagreement over the question of faith and works. After all, Paul very boldly says, it is by faith you are saved, not by works. And it is James who says, faith without works is dead. How can both be right? Because the word works, like the term CD, can mean two different things. It's the same word, but it means two different things. The, the teenager was going out to buy a compact disc of some favorite music. The grandfather thought he was talking about a certificate of deposit from the local bank. Well, Paul spoke about ceremonial works. The rigid keeping of, what, 621 commandments of the Mosaic Law. And he knew that ritual deeds, or deeds performed in a ritual manner, can be empty of real faith. James, on the other hand, spoke of works of compassion and deeds of love. And in doing that, he is squarely in the tradition of the Old Testament, which emphasized over and over and over again the responsibility of people of faith to care for those most in need. And James knew that real faith always produces deeds of compassion and love. So, referencing the sermon title you've seen in the bulletin, when is faith not a faith? I'm about to say something nice about Facebook. You're not as surprised by this as I am. People say terrible things about Facebook. I know they do because I say a lot of them myself. Facebook being, of course, a chief transmitter of all sorts of lies, stupidity, and false facts. But sometimes Facebook has something really worthwhile, such as a look earlier this week when a, when a friend of mine posted on there these words, a private faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. May I read that again? A private faith that does not act in the face of oppression is no faith at all. This is a quote from Wilbur Wilberforce, the great English opponent of, of, of slavery of the 18th century. Wilberforce saw the evils of slavery and what it did to, to people, and he fought against it, uh, devoting his time and his treasure to it. Some of you might even know that the last letter that our spiritual ancestor John Wesley wrote in his life was to Wilberforce, urging him to continue in the struggle. Wesley wrote, Go on, go on, until even American slavery, the vilest that ever saw the light of day, shall be banished from the face of the earth. Well, Wilberforce was unable to stop American slavery. We had to do that ourselves at terrible cost. But Wilberforce gave all that he could in that, and he was motivated in that by his faith. A more contemporary reference, uh, words uttered by a colleague, a friend of ours in the annual conference in a meeting a little while ago, who said, faith without works is dead because faith without works is not faith, but magic. 
And so it is. In one sense, this is the simplest point of all. James begins, he says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. In my lifetime, one of the most recognizable advertising slogans, of course, was three words. Just do it. Just do it. The, the strength of it was its simplicity and its clarity. The folks at Nike were making shoes and other things for people to use in exercise. And perhaps they had picked up on the fact that some people were getting, were buying their expensive uh, exercise shoes and using them to sit around in the den on, on their backside all Saturday afternoon. And so they instead, they started this slogan, just do it. Now, we all, we all know more about exercise than we do. I, I have a, a, a wonderful internist and I know exactly what he says that I need to do. And up until the middle of June, I was coming pretty close to it. I hope to get back to that practice uh, uh, as, as we go forward. But, but we all know more that to do than we actually do. One time in a sermon, I, sometimes I throw things in off the top of my head and it can get me in trouble. But once in a while, it actually works out all right. I was preaching one time. It may have been on a passage like this. And I, and I had heard a speaker at Epworth by the Sea or someplace talk about how people bought expensive exercise equipment and the primary use they found for it was in hanging their clothes. And, and I just sort of threw this in off the, off the cuff in, from the pulpit one day. The choir was sitting behind me in that sanctuary and I thought the tenor section were all about to fall out of off their pew. It seems that two or three of them had had conversations with their wives that week about the treadmills that had taken up residence in, in their bedrooms and yet were being used only to, to hang clothes. We all know more than we, than we do and we can't always recognize what is genuine and what is, what is imitation. Uh, sometimes scientists use markers to identify the presence of something they can't just look at off, off, off the cuff and, and recognize it. High school chemistry was an adventure for me, not to mention three quarters of college chemistry. Uh, but one thing I remember is the magic of litmus paper. You can look at a clear liquid in a beaker and not know if it's an acid or a base. But if you take litmus paper and you dip it in there, if it turns pink, it's an acid. If it turns blue, it's a base. Base, blue, bitter. <laughs> I knew I'd use that sometime. Uh, to identify something that you can't recognize easily. The Bible has a marker for genuine faith. Because you can't look at somebody else and know if they have faith. You can't really look at yourself and know for sure that you have faith. <clears throat> the Bible's marker for faith is faithfulness. Patient caring for those whom we know and like, sure, but not really, really for those who need it the most. James was a preacher who challenged his readers very directly. 
He moves from this general talk about hearing and doing, and then he drills down to some specifics. Genuine religion, he says, is this, helping widows and orphans in their distress. It's not that helping widows and orphans is the sum total of what we're called to do, but that kind of direct service is an indicator in an observable way of of the genuineness of, of our faith. The Methodist Children's Home was founded after the Civil War. Our, our part of the world had a great number of widows and orphans. And so the Children's Home took up the mission of helping some of those orphans. Now, 149 years later, we, we, are not, we don't have that many true orphans around but the dedicated and talented staff over on Pierce Avenue and in the other locations around South Georgia Conference are finding many ways to help children. But none of the, but it all begins in this way, by keeping children safe, by keeping them fed, by keeping them clothed so that they have a chance to, to seize the opportunities God places before them. Now, another reason to emphasize direct service picks up another theme of this passage. And that theme is that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that our faith is genuine. For that, the the image that James uses is the mirror. He says, who looks at a mirror and goes away not remembering what they've seen? If you looked in a mirror this morning and you saw a great big smudge on your face, If you looked in the mirror this morning and your hair was all askew, you didn't just turn around and and walk away and say, oh, that's good, we'll we'll go with that. You you fixed what what you saw. In Snow White, the the evil queen had a mirror that told her the truth, whether she wanted to hear it or not. But very often, when we look in our mirrors, literal and figurative, we too often see what we want to see. We want to play the part of Christians without really living it out. Through the years of my ministry, I've had had the blessing of being pastor to a number of people who held public office. Uh, Almost without exception, good, genuine people who sought the good of of our community, even when I disagreed with with their politics. I I respected them for what they they did. But there was one fellow that we didn't see in church for about three years and ten months until it came time for re-election, and there he was on the fifth pew, it happens. It happens. We deceive ourselves. It's bad enough to, re- to deceive others. The worst thing is when we deceive ourselves. We, we say we love everyone, but not him, not her, not them. We give to the church, but not enough to make a real difference in our lives. We, we have our name on the roll, but we're not regular in worship or study, much less in service. And it seems that every time the church needs something, there's always something else in the way. And so we fool ourselves. 
We fool ourselves by substituting other things for doing God's will. We substitute hearing for doing. Now, it's a blessing to hear a, a good sermon or a good lesson. It makes a difference in your life, but not if you don't live according to that. If your conscience, if you hear your conference, conscience telling you some, to, to do something or not to do something, and you ignore it, the voice of conscience grows dimmer the next time until it might be silenced completely. We substitute deciding for doing things. In, over the years, I've preached three different sermons on the, on the uh, parable of the three frogs. You say, I've studied the New Testament. I don't remember the parable of the three frogs. Well, I, I heard it from a United Methodist higher-up bureaucrat who came and did a, 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 a workshop in my district years ago. He, he turned to the group of us and he said, there are three frogs sitting on the rail of a bridge. Two of them decide to jump off. How many are left? Hey, we knew, we, we took arithmetic, three minus two is one. We said one. He said wrong. There are three. He said there's a difference between deciding to jump and jumping. I'm, I'm a list maker. In the old days, I used pencil and paper to make my lists. With the, modern, uh, with, with the wonders of modern technology and computers, I can make a much longer list. Doesn't mean I do it. My wife has a strange habit. She, she makes lists also, but then she does what's on the list. And for 50 years, she's been trying to get me to catch on to that. I, I don't understand. We substitute feelings for doing. We hear that sermon, we, we read that inspiring story, maybe even on Facebook, and we, we feel all good inside, and we think it's almost as if we've actually done something. Somewhere in that mass of literature that William Barclay has produced so helpfully on the New Testament, there's a story, and if I ever run it across again, I'm going to write down where, where it is, but, I've, but I'll never forget it story about a, a testimony session in a, in a British church where, where 10 or 12 women were sitting around and each one had this inspiring story of what their faith meant to them and how good it made them feel and everything. And they came to, to this one woman who uh, was indeed dressed in, in the clothing of, of the laboring class. And they said, what about you? She said, my children do not have enough to eat, and there are three women in this group who have not paid me for work that I have done for them. There are all sorts of things we can substitute for really doing God's will. James is a persistently pragmatic, practical preacher. You know, some people complain that Preachers are too out there. They're, they don't get down to earth. And then when the preacher gets down to the earth, they complain, he's stepping on my toes. If, if James doesn't step on your toes, you probably aren't hearing what he's saying. But he doesn't step on your toes to depress you. 
it's always to encourage you, to encourage you to that living faith that loves God and serves God's children. May we pray. Loving God, who has called us to your table that we might be fed and sends us forth that we might serve, grant that we might hear what you are saying to us and truly be doers of the word, not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.